Turn to your bulletin insert that has our passage of Scripture printed upon it today, found in the 11th chapter of the book of Proverbs. We'll use this for a, a unison reading. And while you're searching for that, if you were not here last Lord's Day, we began a three-part series on wise ways of life found in the book of Proverbs. And last Sunday, we talked about that famous passage in Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We talked about three different main emphases there. Trust in the Lord with your own heart and lean not on your own understanding. Fear the Lord and shun evil. You know, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And then honor the Lord with your wealth. Those were all in that passage that we talked about last week. Today, we come to the 11th chapter. The 11th chapter is, is like any other chapter of the book of Proverbs. It has all kinds of topics it touches on, but, but two that it touches on probably more than any other in this 11th chapter uh, is our speech, the words that we use and how we use this gift of speech that God has given to us and also money, wealth. And so today we're looking at the tongue, and next Lord's Day uh, we'll look at a proper use, a wise use of the resources which God gives unto us. So today we'll read together verses 9 through 13. Let us read the Word of God together. With his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor... But through knowledge the righteous escape. When the righteous prosper, the city rejoices. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor but a man of understanding holds his tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Maybe you heard about the young man who decided to become a monk. He went to this particular monastery, and that particular order only allowed their young monks to say two words a year. And so at the end of the first year, he said, food cold. Another 12 months elapsed, and he said, bed hard. And then finally a third year passed, and he went into his superior's office and said, I quit. <laughs> and his superior said, well, I'm not surprised. All you've done since you've been here is complain." Now, six words would be hard for us just in a half hour's time, much less spread out over three years. Do you realize that we spend roughly one-fifth of our lives talking, or at least we do in this nation. We engage in some 30 conversations per day between 20 and 30,000 words per day, and I'm sure those statistics are even more than that because of the rampant cell phone usage. 
you know, where the average user is well above a thousand minutes per month, that's more than 30 minutes per day. And they say talk is cheap because supply exceeds demand. With that in mind, it's no wonder that the Bible has a good bit to say about the tongue and how we should talk or not talk in daily life. In fact, the question really is to speak or not to speak. The New Testament book of James has a good bit of teaching that he gives on the tongue. You know, he's the one who tells us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. He's the one that gives us that very graphic picture of the tongue when he says the tongue is a fire. And we have to remember that James is a student of the Old Testament. What he has to say about the tongue and our speech can for the most part be found right here in the book of Proverbs and these words which teach us the wise ways of life in our daily living, day in and day out. Now, of course, teaching about the tongue is scattered all over this book of Proverbs. It's almost something about our speech in practically every chapter. But there are certain concentrations like we find in chapter 16 and chapter 18 and like we find before us today in chapter 11 where several verses in a row have to do with this particular topic. And as I said to you, the two most prominent topics in this chapter are the tongue and money. And so one commentator said, in short, these proverbs in chapter 11 are concerned about how we spend or save our currency in both words and dollars. And for those of you who use your speech judiciously, who use the tongue in the right way, which is mostly to build up and affirm, I commend you. Because we all know what it feels like to be having a terrible day and someone comes along, it may be a friend, it may be a family member, it might be someone that we don't even know who begins to affirm us and encourage us in what we're doing in that particular moment and it makes all the difference in the world. This is a positive and caring use of our speech and this kind of pattern of talking is encouraged all through the Scriptures. But specifically here in the book of Proverbs, we can see four categories or descriptions of the tongue over and over again, two of which are positive and two of which are negative. I ran across a little table many years ago in the Life Application Study Bible uh, that gave these four categories of the tongue and I put, it, put them away in a, in a file because they're so helpful. Uh, they're alliterative, which means they're easily uh, remembered. They are the controlled tongue, the caring tongue, the conniving tongue, and the careless tongue. Controlled and caring, the two positive. Conniving and careless, the two negative. 
And this topic of the right use of the tongue is, of course, important for many reasons, uh, one of which is because of harmful speech. We've all been pained by something that someone else said to us. Maybe something in the heat of a moment, maybe something that was careless, whatever. We all know the pain of something that someone else has said to us or about us. But there's another reason this topic is so important, and that is what does God think about the way we speak each and every day? Obviously, we have these verses that speak to that question, but in case we miss passages like this, we have to remember what Solomon teaches us in his sixth chapter of this book of Proverbs where he says that there are seven things which are an abomination to the Lord, seven things that God hates, three of which have to do with the tongue. God hates a lying tongue. He hates a false witness who breathes out lies, and He hates a man who sows discord among brothers. And how do you sow discord except through words? This is a reason why James calls the tongue a restless evil, something that is full of deadly poison. With it, he says, we bless the Lord and Father, and with the same tongue we curse those whom God has made in His image. In other words, there are good things we can do with the tongue and evil things. Words have tremendous power for good or evil. And we get a glimpse of both in this passage before us this morning. And as we begin to go through these verses, we can see an example of the conniving tongue first in verse 9. With his mouth, the godless destroys his neighbor. We have here a surprise in the sense that his neighbor is not destroyed by physical violence. His neighbor's not destroyed by warfare but by something as simple as words. Within this context, this use of the tongue most likely refers to a bad report or some other form of slander, which is why I term this a conniving tongue as opposed to a careless tongue. And this is why James calls the tongue a fire, because think about it. We have all of these wildfires going on all throughout the south and even out in the west, And what are they doing? They're destroying acre after acre after acre. Fire is very destructive. And reputations of people are in our hands in much the same way. We can destroy others if we so choose by what we say. So often we see the media do this. They literally destroy someone's reputation, assuming that thus and so happened when in reality it did not. But the damage is already done. The words have already been said. Now we can blame the media all we want, but how often do you and I accomplish that same sort of destruction with someone's reputation by repeating what we have heard even when we don't have any first-hand knowledge whatsoever. 
as somebody said to me this week, I was talking about what I'm going to be preaching on Sunday, and they said, oh, you're going to Medlin. Well, maybe. I don't think so. We also see this word destroy in verse 11. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked it's destroyed. Once again, the destructive nature of the tongue is emphasized. We don't realize this enough in our daily living. And notice that it's the godless, it's the wicked people. Those are the folks who are not using the tongue in the right way. This could be a conniving tongue in this instance where someone is out to destroy the safety and security of a city, much like we see in the book of Nehemiah. You remember how Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem and he's there to help the the people who are re-inhabiting Jerusalem after all those years of destruction. The city is destroyed, the wall is down, and Nehemiah goes and uh, they begin to rebuild the wall and how the enemies come and wage psychological warfare against them through words. They're trying to defeat them, trying to turn their excitement about the work they're accomplishing on the wall into fear and despair and discouragement. But this so-called destruction of a city could also be due to a careless tongue, to someone saying something that they should not. Those of you who are old enough remember back in World War II, one of the famous sayings in that time period was that loose lips do what? Sink ships. A careless tongue can bring destruction just as surely as one that seeks to destroy by plans, by treachery, slander, and the like. Of course, verse 11 also has a positive use of the tongue. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. We can see here that the local people of a community can have a positive or negative effect, especially by their character. I think that's part of what the verse is saying. A city is lifted up by the blessing of the upright, by those good people that not only live within a community, but even by their words of encouragement, by their words and example of positive leadership, through their caring, a city is helped. And it's not just a city and not just communities, but churches are helped in much the same way. We need to encourage one another and put this caring type of speech into effect. We need to remember what Solomon also teaches us in his 16th chapter, the 24th verse. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I think Paul comes somewhat close to this when he tells the Colossians to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. You know, Paul knew these positive uses of the tongue and he was always pushing his churches to do the same. Our speech is caring when we speak truthfully while trying to encourage, trying to build up, trying to affirm. Finally, in verses 12 and 13, we find once again both negative and positive uses of our speech. We see the conniving and the controlled tongue. 
A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. These proverbs seem so simple on the surface, on the surface so so common sense oriented. But they're quite deep if we look below the surface. For example, in verse 12, where we can see that a, a foolish person derides his neighbor or belittles him, as the RSV has it, the issue is really judgment, isn't it? We've literally pronounced judgment on someone when we belittle them. Proverbs 14, 21 puts it a little more bluntly when it states that he who despises his neighbor is a sinner. You see, one of the most misleading ways to feel wise is to feel superior. That's why Solomon calls it sin. We all know that pride and arrogance will lead us nowhere except hell. It's sin because whenever we make those kinds of judgments on others, we have in effect denied that God, that God Himself is the only competent judge of human worth and character. We've actually usurped God's role when we belittle someone else. And that is ultimately idolatry. Of course, the reverse side of this negative use of the tongue is what? A wise man holds his tongue. We say nothing at all. Remember, your mother probably taught you if you can't say anything good about someone, say nothing at all. It's right here in Proverbs. Abraham Lincoln is given the credit of a remark in a similar vein when he said, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak out and remove all doubt. You see, wise living consists to some extent in being a person of few words. In fact, Proverbs 17, 28 puts it this way, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. We can also find an example of the controlled tongue in Proverbs 16.23 where Solomon says the the mind of the wise makes his speech judicious. In other words, he's been careful enough to think before speaking. I think this is where we get in trouble lots of times because something happens and we react on the spur of the moment and words tumble out before we've really thought about the effect of those words on someone else's life. James may have this in mind when he gives us those famous words we've already mentioned about being quick to listen and slow to speak. This type of speech, to some extent, has the attitude at work before we ever speak, we're going over in our mind, is this really true? Is this really correct? Is this helpful before I say these kinds of things. In other words, the controlled tongue takes the time to employ the golden rule to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. 
And as our last verse makes clear, control continues to be so important. For while a gossip betrays a confidence, a trustworthy man keeps a secret. The real issue in these last two Proverbs, it seems to me, is reputation. And for that reason, as one scholar put it, our, our stated opinions of others must be fair. Moreover, even when fairness warrants a negative judgment on someone else, wisdom recommends withholding that bad report. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying or what this text is saying. This is true when we're talking to someone else about someone who is not present. A gossip is one, you know, who whispers to other people, according to the book of Proverbs, when those people aren't around to defend themselves. So this text and this sermon is not saying that you cannot confront others to their face about their sins or some wrong they've committed against you. Obviously, Jesus covers that in His teaching on Matthew 18 where He says if someone has sinned to us, sinned against us, that we go to their face and tell them how they've wronged us. Proverbs also makes room for critiquing a friend to their face. We find that, I believe, in Proverbs 27, 6, where we read, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But in that instance, you see, we are a friend, which means we have a caring tongue before we have a candid tongue. And I think that's obvious. I mean, you and I in our Christian lives would want someone to come to us and tell us something that we're doing wrong. If we're on the wrong track, we would want to be put back on the right path and have help to be able to grow spiritually in the future. I think most of us would in that situation, but there again, restraint is still wise. As one woman taught her, grandchildren, she'd lived a long time and she said, always tell the truth but don't always be telling it. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. So much of Proverbs is common sense. Instructions that bear good fruit in life. As we look out for the good of each other by refusing to talk when we should not, We also seek a good end in our life and in our death as well. The same is true with positive and caring speech. Seeking the good of others is ultimately seeking good for ourselves. Now you're going to think this doesn't apply, but just hear me out here. I think Jesus maybe speaks to this a little bit in Mark 10 when He says, "...but many that are first will be last." in the last first. In other words, are you willing to be last by watching your speech and making sure that it's caring and controlled? Remember, this is not only what God expects of His people, but this is the kind of example that Jesus our Lord Himself set for you and me. Peter talks about that in his first 
letter, the second chapter, when he says that Jesus committed no sin. No guile was found on his lips. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he trusted him who judges justly. Or think of that suffering servant passage in Isaiah 42 where Isaiah describes our Lord in this way. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. If anyone had a reason to say something against someone else, it was Jesus our Lord who lived a perfect and sinless life. And yet, as Isaiah tells us, he would not lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Peter goes on to say, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Thanks be to God for all he's done for us in Jesus Christ. And may we live our lives in a manner that reflect that, that his grace is at work in our midst dying to sin and living to righteousness each and every day, even in the things that we say and choose not to say for His honor and glory. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Dear Father, we find that this passage of Scripture has uncomfortable words for us. For we know that we have failed in so many ways when it comes to our speech. We can recall circumstances and instances right now in our own minds where we literally scorch someone else because of our words. And so we thank you that you put this kind of teaching in your word in various places to make sure that we don't miss out on it. And we thank you for the desire that you will place within our own hearts to be mindful of what we say, not just because of the hurt that it might cause, but also because little ears are always close by and listening. And we confess, too, that we have so often set an impure example for our children or our grandchildren because of the things that we say. We ask your forgiveness for all of those sins, and we pray that you might 
help us not to just go back to life as usual after reading these words. That their truth and their wisdom might impress upon us new ways of living in the days to come. We are thankful for the gift of your holy word, for all of the many different ways in which it helps us. We thank you especially for the wonderful and precious promises that we find therein. And we thank you that you tell us over and over again of your love for us. That you've shown that love in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. And we thank you for your call upon us to live as your people and to be your church, your community in the the world that makes a difference, that transforms the community from within like salt does to meat, like leaven does to bread. And dear Father, we pray that you would find us faithful in the work that you've given us to do. We are mindful today of those who continue to grieve losses of all kinds. We know there have been tragedies in our community recently. We know there have been tragedies through the years within this congregation And we continue to pray for your peace and your comfort and your assurance for all those families who grieve. And we continue to pray for your healing power for those who are ill and those who are recuperating from surgeries, those who are looking towards surgeries. And we do pray for Brian Toomey and his heart valve replacement surgery. We pray that all will go well and that his recovery will be as speedy as possible. We remember our homebound folks today and pray that they are not lonely and feel cared for and loved by this congregation and by their friends and family. We continue to pray for all those who are traveling and taking times of vacation and rest, and we pray for safe travels for them. We do pray for this Bon Clark and Music Conference that it will be honoring and praising of you. And we thank you again for the work of our Appalachia mission team and all the ministry that they were able to accomplish and for the fruit that we are seeing in that community because of years of service to the children in that area and to their families. And we thank you for opportunities for mission trips like that because they even change us so much more. 
and they help us to have just a, a glimpse of the very important reasons you've placed us in this world as we see hearts and lives changed and as we see needs met. And we pray that you would create within our hearts as a total congregation to do just that. And as always, dear Father, we pray for our men and women in the armed services. We pray for their safety and protection. We pray for the safety of our missionaries, for our brothers and sisters in the faith who are being persecuted where they live because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. Pray for your protection for them. We pray for guidance and wisdom for our president and our Congress, for all those in elected offices and those who have been appointed. And we thank you for those who keep us safe in this community and for your watchfulness over them. And we thank you as always for your presence in our midst through your Holy Spirit for each one here and for this opportunity we've had today to hear of your love for us in Jesus and to be called upon to, to live as Christian people in the world so that others might see our good works and give glory to you, our Father in heaven. And we ask your blessing upon us to that end in the days to come and bring us back again to your house to worship you. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We do want to reaffirm our faith together using the words of the Apostles' Creed. If you're visiting with us, they're printed for you in your bulletin. Let's stand together as we do that. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Our hymn of dedication is found in your bulletin insert, Happy the Home When God Is There. It speaks to putting into practice this wisdom that God gives unto us.
Now the grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father, the blessing of God Almighty, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you this day and remain with you forevermore. Amen. Thank you.